It is an honor to stand in this pulpit today. Hey, I got a lot to say and not much time to say it, so I hope you came to get a word. Uh, I'm going to ask you to go to Matthew chapter 3 today, and I'm going to look at verses 13 through 17, and uh, also Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. Matthew chapter 3, 13 through 17, and then we'll hop over to Matthew chapter 4, 1 through 11. How many brought a Bible with you? Can I see if you got your Bible? Wave it in the air like you just do care. Awesome. Come on. Some of your Bibles are glowing. Charged up your Bible last night. I'm glad. <laughs> Starting at verse number 13 of Matthew chapter 3. Once you got it, why don't you say, yeah. If you're still looking for it, you need some time, say, hold up. All right, I'll give you some time. It says, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you're coming to me. But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. That's exactly how God sounded that day, by the way. <laughs> Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. It says, uh, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, whoo, 40 days and 40 nights with nothing to eat. That is a long fast, people. Okay, I struggle to fast 40 minutes, but Jesus fasted 40 days and 40 nights. And I love when the Bible is just blatantly obvious. It says, afterward, he was hungry. I bet he was. <laughs> 40 days, 40 nights with no food. And verse 3 says, now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written. Oh, time out. Pause. Did y'all read what we just read? Satan is quoting scripture to Jesus. Ooh, this is for free. This doesn't even count as a part of the message. But I want you to understand today that your approach and your application of the word of God is critical. Because if you have the wrong approach or the wrong application of the word of God, you can actually manipulate scripture to say whatever you want it to say. And that's exactly what the enemy is doing here. He says, he shall give his angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written again, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Again, the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and ministered to him. Can you say amen? Come on, how many know that is good all by itself today? Hallelujah. I want to preach today, not long, not long because it's the last service, probably about five and a half hours, uh, <laughs> just from this thought, from this thought, the water and the wilderness, the water 
and the wilderness. Would you help me preach and look at the person next to you, get in their face, get in their personal space, and just say, neighbor. Oh, come on, don't be afraid to talk to your neighbor in church. Come on. Say, neighbor. It's about the water and the wilderness. Just in case that neighbor was stuck up, please find you another neighbor. Find you another neighbor. Come on, say, other neighbor. I'm telling you, it's about the water and the wilderness. If you believe God's going to speak in this service, would you give him some praise up in here? It's going to be good. Come on, let's pray before we go into this word. It's going to be a long prayer, uh, but just bear with me. God, you are awesome. Speak today. Amen. <laughs> People's Church, this year I will celebrate and commemorate 12 years of full-time ministry. 12 years of full-time itinerant ministry. For the last 12 years, I have had the incredible privilege and opportunity to travel around the world and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news, for 12 years. And it's hard for my mind to believe that it's been 12 years because I first started coming to the church I'm a part of in Dallas when I was three years old. I preached my first sermon when I was 16, scrawny, single, and still living at home with my parents. Now, I am happily married, 32, got two kids, one mortgage, six chest hairs. I'm a grown man now, people. I'm a grown man. And uh, <laughs> in, my, in my 12 years of traveling, there's a question that I've often been asked, and it's a question based on an assumption. And it'll generally happen on a Sunday like this after I've preached, and especially my father is traveling with me who's here today. Somebody will inevitably come up to me and say, hey, Robert, how long has your father been preaching? Or, Robert, how long has your father been pastoring? And to their shock, I let them know my father is not a preacher. My father is a firefighter. For the last 30 years, my dad, Robert Madu Sr., has been fighting fires for the city of Dallas for the last 30 years, okay? Come on, shout out to all the firemen and first responders. Amen. Now, my dad and I, we have the same name, different vocations. <laughs> same name totally different callings. I really think that's imperative for you to note this afternoon because in the unlikely event that your house should catch on fire and uh, you're to be trapped inside of that house that caught on fire and for whatever reason you could only call one Robert Madu to get you out Make sure you call the right Robert, okay? <laughs> Make sure you call the right one. Now don't get me wrong, both of us will do our best to get you saved. Some of you get that tomorrow. Like, <laughs> neither one of us wants you to experience the flames. <laughs> However, how we accomplish that objective will be totally different, okay? Totally different. My father, Robert Madu Sr., who's the fireman, he is going to get a fire truck, go inside of the house that's on fire. He's going to rescue you from the fire. My approach is going to be a little bit different, okay? I'm just going to grab a microphone. I'm going to grab a microphone, and I'm going to stand outside a considerable distance away from you that's trapped in the fire, and I'm just going to encourage you, and I'm going to say something like, 
consider it pure joy my brother when you face various trials knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance and perseverance patience I know you're in the fire right now but you're coming out as pure gold because no weapon formed against you shall be able to prosper key change hey you're not the only one that's ever been trapped in a fire y'all remember Shadrach Meshach and Abednego they were in the fire too and if God got them out then he I said he not me but he gets you out too I'm telling you I am a preacher not a firefighter okay Oh, but in all seriousness, in all seriousness, some of my greatest memories as a kid was when I would visit my dad at the fire station. Okay, you got to understand, when you're a little boy and your dad is a fireman and you get to visit him at the fire station, people, the fire station to a little boy is like Disneyland without the ticket prices, okay? It is a Legoland without the lines. I vividly remember running around the fire station. I'm trying on the uniform. I am pretend driving the fire truck and hitting the siren. I remember kids at school would be like, hey, Robert, I got a new fire truck for Christmas. I'm like, that's cute. I drive one. Hashtag dream bigger. I mean, it was some awesome, awesome moments as a kid. However, I will never forget. I will never forget the day I'm a kid. I'm visiting my dad at the fire station. I pretend driving the fire truck. And all of a sudden, without warning, I hear on the intercom, engine 26, five alarm fire. Engine 26, five alarm fire. And all of a sudden, my father went from laughing and smiling at me, pretend driving the fire truck, to all of a sudden, in his Nigerian voice, saying, son, get up now. He picks me up, throws me out of the seat to my mom. All of a sudden, firemen started coming out of the crevices and the corridors of the fire station like ants escaping an ant bed that had just been stepped on. I saw two firemen that were playing ping pong. They threw the paddles in the air and started putting on their gear. One fireman was eating a turkey sandwich. He stopped mid-bite in the turkey sandwich and jumped on the fire truck, and in no less than three Three minutes, the same fire truck I was pretend driving was now peeling out of the parking lot and the same siren I was pushing for my entertainment was now being pushed for an emergency because time was of the essence and destiny was on the line. And I will never forget the look on my father's face and the immediacy of the moment as he had to quickly transition from a moment of fellowship with his son to now racing to put out a fire that he didn't start. I share my childhood memory with you today in a feeble attempt to accurately articulate the tone and the tension of what is happening in Matthew chapter 3 when Jesus gets baptized and in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus is being tempted. And I need you to feel the whiplash of our Savior as he makes this transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4. Because in chapter 3 with his baptism, he is in perfect fellowship with the Father. But in chapter 4 with his temptation, he is racing to put out a fire that he didn't start but was started in the book of Genesis. Genesis, when Adam and Eve were disobedient and ate of the forbidden fruit that got us in the predicament we are in today and the tension is in his transition from Matthew chapter 3 to Matthew chapter 4. Oh, I hope I don't bore you today, but I have to build some structure and kind of parenthetically park here and let you understand that the chapter numbers and the chapter verses that are printed in your Bible, although sometimes they can be helpful, 
sometimes they can actually be a hindrance and stop you from getting the context of the text that you're reading. So if you're not careful, you'll do what I've done for years, which is to read about Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, pause for a commercial break, and then read about Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4, and you will be tempted to look at these two events as isolated events that should be viewed independently. But I submit to you today that these two events were never supposed to be viewed independently, but rather interdependently, because it's given us biblical blues clues as to what you will face as a believer, that Jesus is actually teaching us something and giving us instruction as to what happens between the water and the wilderness, that there's actually a connection Connection between the water and the wilderness. In fact, maybe I read the wrong verse of scripture today, and I shouldn't have read Matthew's account. Maybe I should have read Mark's account, because look at how Mark puts it in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 13. It says, it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Verse 12 says, immediately, no chapter break, immediately the spirit drove him into the wilderness and he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan and was with the wild beast. Immediately, Jesus went from the water to the wilderness. See, it's that immediately that irritated me because I'm trying to figure out how in the world one moment he's being baptized, the next moment he's in a battle. One moment he is in total comfort, the next moment he is in total conflict. One moment he is in cohesive community, the next moment he is in complete isolation. One moment he hears a voice from heaven, the next moment he hears a voice from hell. One moment he hears, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, the next moment he hears, if you are the son of God. One moment he's in the water getting a word from heaven, the next moment he is in the will facing warfare. Some of you know what it's like to be there. Jesus isn't the only one. How is it on Sunday you experience God's power and presence, but on Monday it's like the enemy attacks everything you heard on Sunday. One moment you step out in faith, the next moment your heart is gripped with fear. One moment you want to pray for your enemies and bless them that curse you. The next moment you want to speak to them in a tongue that needs no interpretation. Come on somebody. Does anybody know what it's like? To make the transition from the water to the wilderness, the tension is in the transition. Ooh, why is it on the pathway to your purpose, en route to your destiny, that the GPS system, ooh, God's positioning system, always says, start on water road, then make a sharp right turn into the wilderness. You always go from the water to the wilderness. Before I talk about what happened in the wilderness, I want to talk about what happened in the water. And I need you to understand forthrightly today that Jesus' baptism was a big deal. It was a big deal. This is an epic moment. Jesus' baptism is like the scene at the beginning of a movie that if you miss because you were putting extra butter on your popcorn, you may as well just go home and wait for the movie to come out on Netflix, okay? Because you're going to be confused the entire movie. Jesus' baptism was a big deal. It was an epic moment. I find it intriguing of the four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who put pen to paper to talk about the life of Jesus, only two of them discussed Jesus' birth. 
Matthew and Luke. Mark and John don't even deem it necessary to discuss the birth of Jesus. Come on, you know you gangster when you skip Christmas, okay? <laughs> they just skip Christmas. But yet all four of them talk about what happened in the water and what happened in the wilderness. All four of them talk about his baptism and his temptation. Jesus' baptism was a big deal. I know it was a big deal because the Bible says when Jesus got baptized that immediately the heavens opened up. The heavens opened up. You know when the heavens open up that the atmosphere has just shifted. You know when the heavens open up, something has just changed. Whenever the heavens open up, an announcement is going to be declared over your life. Come on, I think that's why you came to church today. Not to have a huge church service, but you want to see the heavens open up so you can experience God's power and his presence and his glory. Whenever the heavens open up, an announcement is going to be made. Come on, y'all do know the next time the heavens open up, just hold on, we're going home. We are leaving this earth. A trumpet is going to sound. We are going to our real home that is in heaven and in glory. Oh, Jesus' baptism was a huge deal. I know it was a big deal because of who showed up at the baptism. Because for the first and only time in the entire New Testament, the whole Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit, make a cameo appearance at the exact same time. Because you got God the Father making a declaration from heaven. You got God the Son being baptized in the water. And you got God the Holy Spirit descending like a dove. Come on, you know when the whole Trinity shows up, it's time to turn up and give God some praise. This is a big moment. I'm telling you, I know Jesus' baptism was a big deal because of what the Father was declaring over the Son. The Father was declaring something that every human heart wants to know. The Father was declaring something that every soul is longing to be assured of. The Father was declaring a truth that has to be the anchor in your soul when life comes against you. And that truth is this. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased. I'm going to say it till you get it. I am loved. I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. Come on, can somebody thank God for that truth right there, that you are loved. You are a child of God, and he is pleased with you. I'm telling you, if that truth, that truth, if it got in your heart and not just in your head, it would change the way you walk into a room. It would change the way you feel about yourself to know that you are loved, you are a child of God, and he is pleased with you. As a matter of fact, I dare you from this moment forward, every morning you wake up, every morning you wake up, you all just go to the mirror before you brush your teeth and just preach to yourself with your stanky breath and just declare, I am loved, I am a child of God, and he is pleased with me. That would be a great way to start your day. If you're thinking about getting a face tattoo. I wouldn't, but if you want to anyway, I have a suggestion of what you should put on your forehead. You should put I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time you go to Starbucks and the barista says, what name should I put on this drink? You ought to tell him I am loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Next time you're on Instagram or Facebook or Twitter and you ain't getting the likes or the comments you thought you were going to get on that post, I dare you to cut off your smart device that's making you stupid and just to Declare to yourself, I ain't living for nobody's likes because I'm loved. I am a child of God and he is pleased with me. Oh, I'm getting happy on my own sermon. Are y'all recording this? I'm going to watch it later. That is good news. What if, what if today you filtered every circumstance, every negative comment from other people through that transcendent truth? 
that you are loved. You're a child of God, and he is pleased with you. If you were confident of that, you wouldn't lose your joy so easily. You wouldn't be depressed all the time. If you knew you were loved, you were his child, and he's pleased with you. That means when people come up to you and they're like, I don't like you. Say, that's cool. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he's pleased with me. Well, I think you're ugly. You're entitled to your opinion. I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. You know you ain't got no teeth. I know, but I'm still loved. I'm a child of God, and he pleased with me. I'm telling you, that truth will change your life forever. But hear me. That's where most believers stop. We always stop at the water. Because the water, hear me, is the place where your identity is confirmed. The water is the place where you begin to understand who you are and whose you are. Understand that the father made this declaration over the son before he had done a single miracle. He hadn't healed anybody yet. He hadn't been to the cross yet. He hadn't casted out a demon yet. He hadn't taken the two fish and the five loaves and multiplied it and made the first red lobster yet. He hadn't done any of that. Hadn't gotten up from the grave yet, but yet the father still says, you are loved, you are my child, and I'm pleased with you. How? He ain't done anything yet. I know. But this has nothing to do with his performance. Everything to do with proximity and relationship to me. You are still loved. You are still my child, and I'm pleased with you. And this is where most believers stop. We stop at the water. So you leave a service like this, and you're feeling real good. You're like, woo, or y'all in church today. Did you hear what he said? I am loved. I'm a child of God, and he is pleased with me. And you're feeling real good in the water. But I felt the need to warn you that right after the water, you will walk straight into the wilderness. Right after you hear the voice from heaven, hear me, you will hear the voice from hell. And this is what messes us up as believers because we've almost been programmed and conditioned to think that once you have the approval of heaven, you won't have an attack from the enemy. Oh, yes, people don't preach like this, but one of the problems that's even being promulgated in pulpits today is that we have relegated the approval of God to a better car, a bigger house, a check in the mail. Oh, I just got paid. God is pleased with me. And we have relegated it to blessing. And don't get me wrong, I am all for blessing. I believe God wants you to be blessed. I don't think he wants you to have just enough. I believe he wants you to have more than enough so you can be a blessing to somebody else. However, however, the life of Jesus is proof positive that the approval of heaven will not absolve you from the attack from the enemy. As a matter of fact, I'll go further to say that the reason some of you are facing what you're facing right now is simply because God is pleased with you. That's why hell is coming against you because God is pleased with you. You didn't do anything wrong. You did something right. That's why the enemy is attacking you. See, it is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell. That'll tweet. It is the smile of heaven that attracts the scowl of hell. So I'm telling you today, receive the smile, but don't get shocked when you get the scowl from hell because it's coming right after the approval. I'm telling you, when I was studying this text, I did not like this, okay? I'll be honest. I was like, God, I don't want to preach this. I don't like going from the water to the wilderness. As a matter of fact, I would rather have my water experience in the wilderness, like, that's when I would want to have my water experience. Give it to me in the wilderness. Like, maybe I have too much imagination. But I think this text would read a whole lot better if it started off in the wilderness. And as soon as Satan rolls up on Jesus and says, if 
you are the son of God. Then let a voice from heaven come and interrupt Satan in the middle of his speech and say, what you mean if he is the son of God? He is the son of God because I already said he was the son of God. Satan, I'm going to tell you right now, you better put some respect on Jesus' name. You better put some respect on his name. If you don't put some respect on his name, all three of us, Father, Son, and Spirit, about to mess you. As a matter of fact, let there be water. And then water shows up in the wilderness. And the whole Godhead takes Satan by the throat and just start drowning him in the water. And says, I wish you would say if one more time. I just think we're going to read better like that. And then after Satan's lifeless body is floating in the water, that's when you call John the Baptist and say, we're ready for the baptism now. <laughs> just read better like that, but it will not happen. Hear me, it will not happen. You will not get your water experience in the wilderness. It will not happen. God always takes you from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness. It is God's system from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, I want to say it till it annoys you, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to, I want you to be at work and hear my voice in your head going, from the water to the wilderness, from the water to the, it is God's system. He always takes you from the water to the, oh, you do know when John was baptizing people, we read it earlier, he baptized them in the, come on somebody, in the, but when they asked John who he was, he said, I am a voice crying out in the, crying out prepare the way of the Lord what is the way of the Lord he takes you from the water to the wilderness from the water to the wilderness from the water to the oh now I see why the children of Israel had to go through the Red Sea <laughs> because the Red Sea is comprised of and the water is the place where your identity is confirmed. And Pharaoh thought they were just slaves. But they were not just slaves. They were loved. They were God's children. And he was pleased with them. And can I tell you, when you're God's child, there is no bondage that can hold you down. There is no addiction that you have to be stuck on. Because whoever the sun sets free, it's free indeed. So Moses had to lift up his staff. And he split the water. But they didn't walk into the promised land. They walked straight into the, they were in the wilderness 40 years. Jesus was in the wilderness 40 days. And God always has this system of taking you from the water to the wilderness. Ooh, I don't want to sound like a broken record. And I could be bringing my own presupposition to this biblical pericope. But I would even like to pose, posit, and postulate that the way we enter the earth is just a microcosm of this transcendent truth that God always takes you from the water to the wilderness. Ooh, you do remember how you were conceived, right? You do remember how you were conceived. You were conceived in your mother's womb. Identity confirmed in the womb. Oh, I'm having a boy. Ooh, I'm having a girl. And then it's funny, in your mother's womb, you were surrounded by... So much so that when your head got too big and your birth was imminent, your mama looked up over the dining room table and said, uh-oh, my just broke and rushed to the hospital. And do you remember how you entered the earth? Do you remember how you came into the earth? You do remember your first, first birthday. How did you come into the earth? Did you come in laughing? No. Did you come in dancing? No. Did you come in singing? No. Did you come in rapping? Started from the belly, now I'm here. No, no. I'll tell you, I'll tell you how you came into the earth. Here is how every baby comes into the earth. Just like this. Ah! 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 Screaming. Kicking, crying, and us newborn parents look at a newborn baby who's screaming at the top of his lungs, and we smile and talk about, hey, welcome to the world. 
they look at us talking about, ah, ah, ah. And I am convinced, I am convinced that if you could translate and transcribe the cry of every newborn baby, the caption across the screen would read, what you mean welcome to the world? Don't you mean welcome to the you spend your entire life grappling with the complexity, with the conundrum of the wilderness that you were born into. I've learned to be quick to love, not quick to judge, because you don't know the wilderness that some people were born into. The wilderness is a real place. The challenge of life is how in the world do I survive the wilderness I'm in and not allow the heat of the wilderness to evaporate my experience from the water. And the quintessential question you must ask and answer today is how are you going to handle the temptations that face you in your wilderness? How are you going to handle it? Some of you are like, oh, Robert, how dare you ask us such a question? I am a child of the most high God. I've been coming to people's church for years now. I am a Christian. I floated in the room today. I had communion for breakfast. How dare you ask about the temptations in my wilderness? Why I'm in church today. I know. But this is the water. Tomorrow, you got to go to work. That is the wilderness. Come on, somebody help me preach in here today. The tension is in the transition. I'm almost done, but I need you to see today that the same spirit that descended on Jesus in the water is the same spirit that led him into the wilderness. The Bible said the spirit led Jesus into the wilderness. So the wilderness is not really the problem as much as it is who is in the wilderness waiting for you to get there. Satan, the enemy who hates you, was waiting in the wilderness for Jesus to get there and was just waiting for him and watched him until he had fasted 40 days. Was just in the wilderness waiting and watching. That's what the enemy does. He waits. He watches. Then he attacks. This is his tactic. He waits. He watches, then he attacks. This is his tactic. This is what he's doing it to you right now, all while you're worshiping. He's <laughs> waiting, he's watching, then he attacks. This is the way he comes against people. He did it to Adam and Eve in the garden as a snake. He was waiting, he watched, then he attacked. It's so funny, I was watching a special they did on snakes, <clears throat> and I almost changed the channel because I don't do snakes. And uh, I'm glad I didn't because they said something that blew my mind. They said snakes, watch this, are one of the only species that don't blink. They never blink. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a snake. They don't blink. They just wait and they watch for an opportunity to attack. This is what the enemy is doing to you and to me. Oh, it gets worse. I watched another special on the Discovery Channel. And this is about a lady that had a pet snake. She had a Pet, a pet snake. The enemy, the enemy chose to enter through a snake, and this was her pet. Okay, that's a different kind of cray cray. And uh, <clears throat> her snake stopped eating. Her snake refused to eat. Her snake stopped eating. She takes the snake to the veterinarian. She says, I have a problem. She said, My snake won't eat. The veterinarian looked at the snake, looked at the woman, looked at the snake, looked at the woman. She then began to ask her a litany of questions. She said, Ma'am, by any chance, have you been sleeping with your snake? The lady goes, Yes, I have. I have. I got to be honest. He's, he's not poisonous. He's a python. His cage is right next to my bed. And sometimes I let him slither out and I let him come up in the bed with me. I, I slept with I love how everybody's shocked. Like, there are people today who still sleep 
with snakes. <clears throat> but that's a different sermon for a different day. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> save that for this service. And, and, and she says, yeah, I let the snake slither up in the bed with me sometimes. The veterinary said, huh. She said, ma'am, while sleeping with your snake, have you ever woken up to your snake right beside you and stretched out next to you? The lady goes, yes. As a matter of fact, the other morning I woke up, my snake was right beside me, and it was stretched out next to me. The veterinary said, hmm. He said, ma'am, I have some good news, and I have some bad news. He said, the good news is your snake is not sick. He said, the bad news is the reason your snake refuses to eat is because your snake is preparing to eat you. She said, the reason your snake has not eaten for several months is because your snake is strategically orchestrating its digestive system to be able to eat you. She said, the reason you wake up to your snake right beside you stretched out is because your snake is sizing you up and is trying to see how big it has to get to swallow you whole. The lady said, really? <laughs> And I think that's how some believers act as it relates to the enemy. How many of you know Christianity ain't for the weak? This is warfare, baby. The enemy is watching you. He's trying to see how he can destroy you. But how many are thankful that you got protection because of the precious blood of Jesus Christ? He's waiting. He's watching. He's trying to attack. How are you going to win the war in your wilderness? How many of you know if you're going to win the war in the wilderness, you can't just shout. You need a strategy. You need a strategy, and I'm going to do what no preacher's done before. I'm going to give you four points in four minutes of how you can win the war in your wilderness. Number one, you want to win the war in your wilderness? You must know where you are. You must know where you are. Notice when the enemy chooses to attack Jesus. Jesus is at the beginning of his ministry. They just made the announcement that he is the son of God. It is his inauguration, and right after the inauguration comes temptation. The enemy loves to battle you at the beginning. Anytime you're getting ready to start something, expect an attack from the enemy. Getting ready to start a business, expect an attack. Getting ready to start a family, expect an attack. He wants to stop you before you ever get started. Some of you have wondered why it seems like from the day you were born, all hell was coming against you. It's because the enemy knew there was purpose and there was destiny on your life. That's why he's been attacking you. He wants to kill you before you ever get started. You must know where you are. What season of life are you in? Because different seasons require different strategies. Where are you? Where are you? Where are you in life? The enemy didn't just do it at the beginning. He did it right when he was at the end. This time through a voice in the crowd as Jesus was on the cross, a voice cries out and said, he saved others. How come he can't save himself? Trying to get Jesus to come off the cross and stop his mission because he was right on the edge of his breakthrough. Sometimes when you are closest to the finish line, how many know the attack is so intense? You got to know where you are if you're ever going to get your pathway to victory. I'm preaching it here today. Number two, you want to win the war in your wilderness? You have to know that the word is your weapon. Ooh, the word is your only weapon. With every attack the enemy launched, what was Jesus' response? It is written. It is written. It, every response came from the word of God. Not it is tweeted. Not it is hashtagged. Not it's in a sermon I heard last week. Hold on, let me download it. No, it is written. The word of God is your only weapon. You've got to get the word of God in you, in you. Because watch this. In the water, the word comes over you. In the wilderness, the word's got to come out of you. 
See, the word can't come out of you if you've never taken the time to put it in. You've got to eat the word of God so you got something to fight back against the enemy. Some of you wonder why you keep getting beat up by the enemy. It's because you never got the word in you. And you can only tackle temptation with truth from the word of God. I'll tell you how this became real to me. I'll never forget when I went to Israel. <clears throat> I had a conversation with a camel. I talked to this camel in Israel. I think they got a picture of it. And... Uh, <laughs> talked to that camel in Israel and I said hey Mr. Camel I said you live in the wilderness how do you survive the wilderness you're in camel said something that blew my mind he said Robert anytime I, he literally said Robert <laughs> anytime I sit down to eat he said I'm actually able to take in large amounts of vegetation and water he said I'm able to take in more than I actually need at one sitting so much so that I store it in my body which is the humps you were just riding on he said so as I'm going through the wilderness it doesn't matter how hot the wilderness is around me. I have something in me I can pull back from because I took the time to feed myself. Come on, somebody. That's the power of getting in the word of God. If you get that word in you, it doesn't matter what's going on around you. If you got something to pull back from, the word is your weapon. Number three, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You have to know what is at stake. What is at stake? Can I tell you, People's Church, why I love Jesus so much? There's so many reasons. One of the reasons I love Jesus is because Jesus made decisions with my destiny in mind. Jesus made decisions through the lens of his love for all of humanity. And with every decision, he was thinking about us. And some people think he was just thinking about us on the cross and when he got up from the grave. But I submit to you, he was thinking about you in the water and in the wilderness. Here's how I know he was thinking about us in the water. Think about this. Why would Jesus get baptized like why would Jesus take the time to get baptized you know what baptism is right baptism is an external expression of an inner commitment that says when I go in this water the old me is going down in the water but the new me is coming up ready to step into everything that God has for me so why would Jesus get baptized he is the perfect, spotless, sinless son of God. There's no old Jesus to go down the water. Why would he get baptized? Come on, if there's anybody that could have skipped baptism, Jesus is at the top of the list. That's why John the Baptist was even tripping about the baptism. We read it earlier. He starts stuttering. He's like, do you want me to baptize you? You should baptize me. This baptism makes no sense. Come on, this is Steph Curry asking you for shooting tips. Come on, this is Adele asking you for voice lessons. This is Donald Trump asking you for spray tanning tips. This makes no sense. Why would Jesus get baptized? But then I remembered, I remembered that Jesus did not just come to die the death that we were supposed to die. He came to live the life that we were supposed to live. He was our perfect example. So he says, John, you got to baptize me to fulfill all righteousness. He said, there's no sin in me because I created you and I created the water you're about to put me in. But I got to do this because I am thinking about those who are coming after me. I got to do this as obedience so they can know that there is hope, that you don't have to be defined by your current mistakes or your sin. But how many are thankful that there can be a new you, that you can get up, you can have a fresh start? That's in the water. In the wilderness, you understand if he turns those stones into bread and he eats of it, he's no better than Adam and Eve who ate of the forbidden fruit that got us in the mess that we're in today. 
And he was thinking about us with every decision. You know how you win the war in your wilderness when you know what is at stake. How many of you know you are not living your life for you, but you do have a legacy. There are people that are coming after you. There are people that are watching you and the decisions you make. you got to win the war in your wilderness because the decisions you make today will determine the stories that you tell tomorrow. Number four, you're going to win the war in your wilderness. You have to know, don't miss this one, where your help comes from. You got to know where your help comes from. I'm done, but here's what I love in the text. The Bible says that after the enemy left, how many are you thankful there comes a place where the enemy has to leave, where he has to back up? It says after the enemy left, that angels came and ministered to Jesus and began to refuel him in the midst of the wilderness. I came to tell somebody today, you got to know where your help comes from, that your help comes from the Lord that went before you. Come on, in the midst of the wilderness, don't let the enemy try to get you to stop worshiping or opening up your mouth because he knows that when you cry out to God, he's going to show up right where you are. Come on, is there anybody in the 1 p.m. service that says, I know where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord. He is my defender. He is my protector. He will come right where you are. Don't you stop worshiping in your wilderness because that's when God shows up in the midst of the crazy environment around you. And I don't know where you are today. You could be facing the most real wilderness. But I felt like God wanted me to tell you, you can face the wilderness. You can face any lie that the enemy is whispering in your ear as long as you hold on to the truth from heaven. And the truth from heaven is you are loved, you are God's child, and he is pleased with you.